Good morning. My name is Pastor Brad. I'm the worship arts pastor here at New Life. It's a great joy for me to be able to welcome all of you. Man, you, you guys just look so great today. Thank you so much for coming out and being part of our church family. Uh, we're so glad that you're here with us, especially if you're a first-time guest with us here today. Just want to take a moment and thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule uh, to join us and be with us today. We, uh, we have planned for you to be here, and I hope you've had a great time so far. And uh, I'm going to talk more to you a little bit later in the service, but just want to take a moment and welcome you for and thank you for being here today. And for those of you watching online, thanks so much for joining us. We love you and uh, we pray for you and thanks for tuning in. We're so glad that you're here as we uh, dig into the Word of God together in Mountain Monologues Part 3. So if you've ever wondered what Jesus thinks about anything, uh, the best place to find that out is the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in, it begins in Matthew chapter 5 and continues on for a couple of chapters in the scripture where Matthew tells us the account of Jesus' teaching on a mountain. And so there's where we got the, the title Mountain Monologues. That's what it's all about. It actually has to do with where Jesus shared his most important, one of his most famous sermons ever, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And that's what we're studying. Actually began it on Easter. We're going to be studying it all through the summer and are really excited about what God is going to do through this series because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about issues that directly related to our lives. So he talked about things like sexuality and gossip and judging others and many other things. And we, what we know is that if we will take the word of God and we will apply it to our lives, God will transform us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're excited about. That's what we're looking forward to as we study mountain monologues throughout the summer. So today, I want to encourage you, if you have your Mountain Monologue study guide, uh, you can open it up to page 11, and you can write some notes and things in there as well. Also, inside your connection is another, uh, this is a, a sermon outline, and you know, we forget uh, a good portion of everything that we hear, and I want to encourage you, therefore, to use this so that you don't forget some very important teaching um, that we can apply to our lives, and, and then God will use that to transform us. So please use these um, and, uh, and, and invest into your life and the things that are very, very important. So I want to encourage you to do that today. Well, at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes through these things called the Beatitudes. And Pastor Chris opened us up in week one, and he talked about that. And it, right at the end of that section, in verse 12, Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, Jesus said this. He said, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And what Pastor Chris pointed out is this, that all blessing comes from God. And the, and the first blessing is receiving the resurrection power of Jesus. And so what, what Jesus was saying and what Pastor Chris was pointing out is that in order for us to receive the benefits of the Beatitudes, we have to first receive the blessing of putting our faith in Jesus and trusting him as our Lord and our Savior. And then once we do that, we find out a little bit later in Matthew chapter 28 that Jesus invites us to partner with him in his redemptive mission on the earth. And Jesus references that in, in the next section of verses in Matthew chapter 5, where he talks about salt and light. Here's what he said. In verse 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So as Jesus' followers, Jesus shines his light through us and salts the earth with his grace. So 
we are meant, the Jesus followers, the, the, the scripture calls them the church. We, as the church, capital C church, we are the ones who are to release the light and the, and the salt of God's grace on the earth in our lives and through our lives. And God does that through us as he delivers the kingdom to those with whom we live, work, and play. And so Pastor Chris made this note last week. He said, Jesus' followers are salt and light in a dark and tasteless world. It doesn't take much for us to look around and go, yeah, our, our world's pretty screwed up and it's pretty dark in a lot of ways and it's, it's pretty bland. But Jesus came, he said, to bring us life and life to the full. In fact, it's the life that we've all been looking for. And today, we're going to dive into something that I, I think is very, very important. You see, I, when I was growing up, I grew up in a, a Christian home. My mom loved Jesus very much, my dad as well. And they raised me uh, to, to know God, and they took me to VBS and church and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and I met Jesus. I, I, I should say I accepted Jesus into my life when I was in seventh grade. But even after that, I struggled with something. And that something was I felt like I had to be good enough for God to love me. I felt like I needed to make sure that in my obedience to him, that, that it was acceptable to him and that I might have eternal life. You see, I was basing my relationship with God on my effort. And the reality is that was a very challenging thing for me. And I struggled with that for a very, very long time. And, uh, and then God revealed something to me. And that's really what we're going to talk about today as we look at this passage in Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to see... This incredible truth, and here's the take-home point for today, that Jesus did what we couldn't do, so we can now do what Jesus did. Jesus did what we couldn't do, so now we can do what Jesus did. So if you have your Bible or your study guide, open it up. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 17. If you have a Bible app, you can open it up there as well. And let's see what Jesus has to say about this. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, it's important to understand Jesus' audience here. Jesus is speaking again on this mountain to a large group of people who are all Jews. And there are some Pharisees there, and there are some Sadducees there, and, and there are just a lot of regular Jewish people. And, and the Jews believed one thing based on the law and the prophets, and that is that God was going to send a Messiah who was going to establish his kingdom on the earth and that he was going to eliminate all of Israel's problems, in other words, all of their enemies. And that they believed that that Messiah was, was going to come. And some people were questioning whether Jesus was that Messiah, and they, they believed that. And Jesus, speaking um, to the people here, is actually helping them understand the first part of that is exactly what God intended, that he was going to bring his kingdom, and he was going to release it on the earth. But as far as rele you know, relieving Israel of all of their enemies, of all of their problems, God had a different plan. And so for the Jews, as they heard Jesus speak about the law, they were wondering, is he, going to, is he going to abolish the law? What is he going to do in order to establish this new kingdom? And Jesus comes in and he says, no, 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 listen, I'm not going to abolish the law. And so the question is for us, like, what is the law? 
The law is the revealed truth of God that was given to the Jewish people through Moses. Uh, God gave it to the people through Moses. Moses delivered it to them, and they put it together in the teaching. And we have it in our scriptures, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And we, we have that um, collection of writings, and we call that lumped together with all of the prophets the Old Testament. And so we call it the Old Testament. They called it the Law and the Prophets. And that's where they uh, received all of these rules um, to over 600, actually, where they could find uh, to be, if they followed these things, they, they would find God's favor. And here's, here's the thing that Jews believed. They believed that if they followed the law, they could make God happy. And they hoped that by following the law, that God would grant them eternal life. Now, that's interesting because that's the exact same question I had growing up. That's the exact same thing that I thought growing up. And so when we hear the law and the prophets, we have this, this tension here that's beginning to, to happen with the people because the Jews regarded the law very highly. But, and, and some people thought that Jesus was actually disregarding the law because he did some things that, that they thought were against the law. But Jesus makes very clear, especially in our passage today, that he is not disregarding or eliminating the law. He's actually going to do something with the law that is really significant for the people he was speaking to and for all of us. And what he was going to do was he was going to set us free by living the law for us. And that's what Jesus came to help them understand. That's the thing that Jesus wanted them to take away from his time. And so Jesus used language that would help them understand that he did not come to disregard the law, to eliminate the law. He wasn't coming to create a rival system. He was just coming to challenge the traditions of the Pharisees. Because what the Pharisees did is they took all of God's laws and they put a bunch of other laws around it and they created these traditions and it was, they added to the law of God. And so Jesus was bringing clarity around that. Look at verse 18. He says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Not an iota, not a dot. An iota, in fact, in some other translations, they use the word jot. And what that is, is it's a reference to the smallest Hebrew letter, which was most likely the yod. And they would, he was referencing that saying, listen, all of the law matters before the Lord. All of the law matters. The smallest letter and even the dot, which for us would be like a little apostrophe, you know, it matters before God. And what he's saying is, I've not come to abolish that. I'm going to fulfill that. And it will not pass away until heaven and earth pass away. So he was helping the people understand that Jesus wasn't coming to do something different. He was coming to fulfill what God had already established. And Jesus was then going to give us a new life out of that completion. And then Jesus goes on and he further emphasizes the importance of keeping God's law. Here's what he said in verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus makes a direct reference to the Pharisees in this statement. Because the Pharisees were guilty of creating greater commandments and lesser commandments. Commandments. So what they did is they looked over these um, over 600 laws and they, they saw one that said, honor your father and mother. Now, if you're a mom or dad, you know that is a really important rule, right? I mean, after all, it's in the Ten Commandments. I mean, it's got to be really important. Honor your father and mother. And there's a blessing that comes along with that, that you will live long in the land. Well, that's a really good deal. Like if I honor my parents, I'm going to live a long time. 
That's what, I mean, that's what it says in the Scripture. So as a Jew, I would certainly be thinking, well, I've got to honor my parents, and, and, uh, and that way I'll live long in the land. And, but interestingly, that they, they, so they would call that a great, a great commandment. But interestingly, there's also this other commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 22. It's so weird. Um, but it's, it's one of those ones that I, I look at, and I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. So here's it, here it is. Here's what it is, okay? If you find a bird's nest and it has eggs in it, or even young birds, you can take that nest out of a tree or off the ground. You shoo the mother away. You're not allowed to keep the mom, but you can, you can keep the babies or the, or the eggs, and you can use those. And if you do that, you'll live long in the land. It's the same promise. You got the same promise for taking a, a bird's nest out of a tree and using the eggs as you do for honoring your father and mother. So now all the time I'm looking outside like, where's that bird's nest? You know, like, and, and you see, that's kind, of, that's kind of what was happening with the Jews. They were doing that. So the Pharisees were saying, no, 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 listen, listen, there's a greater commandment. That is that you need to honor your father and mother and not just look for that bird's nest, right? But Jesus is pointing out that that's wrong. That if you break the law by dishonoring your father and mother, or you break the law by not taking that bird's nest and using it, then you've broken the whole law. Jesus is saying, don't relax any part of the law because you can't. And, and later on, the rabbis would come to realize this, and they would begin to point out how it actually just had to do with eternal life. They were talking about eternal life. But actually, no, no, Jesus is saying, no, it's real application right here and now. That if you break any part of the law, you broke the whole law. Now, this presented a major problem for the Pharisees because they were guilty of easing these laws. But it also creates a major problem for us. A really, really big problem for us. And I, I want to demonstrate this by asking you some questions. Have you ever been angry with someone? <laughs> On the way here, right? I got kids, I get it, you know. Have you ever disobeyed your parents? Yeah, unfortunately, I have. Have you ever told a small lie? Yeah, on the way here. No. <laughs> now, let me ask you, have you ever stolen anything? It always gets quiet on that one. Everybody's like, yeah, 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 and then crickets when I ask that question. Yeah. Okay, but if you've ever taken something that didn't belong to you, you've broken the law. Now, let me ask you this last one. This is really important. Have you ever eaten a medium-rare steak with blood in it? Oh, come on. I'm having one for lunch, right? I mean, that's not true. I'm having ribs, which was also against the law, actually. They weren't allowed to eat pork. But, uh, but anyway, um, so, so the, here's the deal. In the law, it says you're not allowed to eat the, the blood of an animal. And so if you've broken any of those laws then you're guilty of breaking the whole law, and so am I. And that's a big, big problem. And Jesus says, since we're all guilty of breaking God's law, his next statement, the one that he's about to speak on, is actually really terrifying. Here's what he said, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you, everybody say me, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so let me get this straight. 
Despite the Pharisees' lackadaisical approach to the law, they were easing the law in some ways and calling other laws greater than, than other ones. Okay, so they, they were pretty lackadaisical in their approach. Despite that, they were the best in, in Jesus' culture at following God's law. And so Jesus is saying, listen, unless your righteousness, and then he adds this word, exceeds that of the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, what does that mean? That means that even the Pharisees were screwed, right? I mean, because the deal is that, that our righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. So not only are we, I mean, we might have broken some of these laws coming in today. They probably wouldn't have broken those laws, at least externally. But the righteousness that's required is actually exceeding the righteousness of the Pharisees. That's a, that's a major, major issue, Jesus said, in essence, we're no better than the Pharisees. And the Pharisees weren't even good enough. Now, interestingly, this is the whole point of Jesus' message in this passage. He's pointing out that our effort is never going to be enough. Because we've all sinned inside, in, in our hearts. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, he says, For all have sinned and all have fallen short of God's glory. And you see, God's glory is reflected in the law. And the law that was given to the Israelites, to the Jews, was to be followed in order to meet God's standard. And so Paul is making this observation that even the Pharisees and even all of the people in his day have fallen short of God's law, which is really, really a bad thing. Because we've all missed the mark. That's what sin is. Sin is missing God's mark. So what's Jesus' point in sharing all of this? I mean, is he, is he just sharing this to tell us how bad we are? Is he, is he trying to make fun of us? What is he doing here? Well, the answer to that question is no. Jesus is rather showing us that we need a different experience than our own effort if we're going to gain favor with God if we're going to be in relationship with him. You see, Jesus pointed out human effort wouldn't be enough. Instead, we need an awakening of our inner spiritual person. We need God to wake that person up so that we can be in relationship with him, with, uh, which we were created for from the beginning. And Jesus actually has this conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, Nicodemus was a very important Pharisee. Actually, he was, a, he was a teacher, but even more than that, he was part of the Sanhedrin. He was part of the ruling uh, part of the, the, the Jewish uh, teachers. And, and so he was a really important guy. And he came to Jesus at night because he didn't want to be seen coming to Jesus during the day. And, and he comes to Jesus and he begins to flatter Jesus. And he says, we see that God is with you because of all the amazing things you've done. And what he's doing is he's hoping Jesus would say, wow, you really nailed it there, Nicodemus. You got it. But instead, Jesus says, hey, Nicodemus, I have a message for you that you need to pay attention to. So let's pick up with Nicodemus's question. He says, Rabbi, we know you, you're a teacher sent from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
And do not marvel that I've said this to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so what Jesus is saying here is that our own human effort isn't ever going to be enough because we need something different than that, altogether different. And Jesus says we have to be born again. And Nicodemus, of course, coming at this from a natural perspective, I mean, how else was he supposed to think about this? By the way, Nicodemus was basically a PhD in theology, and he didn't even get this, okay? But we, we today, we can understand this, which thank, thank Jesus for this. That when we are born again, it's not a physical birth. We're not, we're not going to be born again from our mothers, but rather we need to be born spiritually. That when we put our faith in Jesus, when we put our trust in Jesus, as he fulfilled the law, as he met God's standard, and he died on the cross for our sins, and he took our sins on, on himself there, and he paid for our sins there, and then he was buried, and then he was raised back to life by the power of God, and in that moment, he overcame sin and death forever, and being both fully man and fully God, Jesus could pay for the sins of all humankind, both past, present, and future, because God is outside of time, and yet he still relates to us as a human being, so he can die in our, as, as part of our human nature. He can die for our human nature. And he took us, our sin upon himself. He traded it on the cross. But it's because of his resurrection that we can have a brand new life. And when we put our faith in Jesus, when we believe that he came to live a life we couldn't live, that he died on the cross for us, that he was raised back to life for us, and we believe that, then we can receive his new life in us. And the Holy Spirit regenerates our spiritual man, which was dead before that. So inside of us, we are made alive. And that's what Jesus was pointing out to Nicodemus. And that's what Jesus was saying. So let me put it this way. When we believe in Jesus, we receive his life. When we believe in Jesus, we receive his life. You see, Jesus fulfilled the law for us. It's not wiped away. It's not abolished. It's fulfilled in Jesus. And when we believe in him, we receive that fulfillment in our lives. And so then the Apostle John says that when we put our faith in Jesus, we are welcomed into his family. And in, in, in essence, what happened, and the Apostle Paul points this out in several places in his letters, is this, that, the, that Jesus did what the law could never do. The law never brought about relationship with God. But instead, when we believe in Jesus, we are automatically put into relationship with God because we are adopted as sons and daughters of the King. So we can have that today. And if that's you in here today, you need to know God loves you so much that he sent his son to live, to die for you. And he was raised back to life for you so you could have brand new life today. And all you have to do is you have to believe that. You have to put your faith in that. Because when we believe in Jesus, when we believe in him, when we put our faith in him, we receive his life. So through Jesus' life and teaching, we learned that God, God desires a relationship. He desires faith so that we can be made right with him. So if you're not a follower of Jesus in here today, but you want to become a follower of Jesus, I want, to, I want you to know something. I'm going to pray for you at the end today. And if that's you, I want you to be thinking as we talk about this next um, section, I want you to be thinking about that. And as we pray, I want you to just agree with me in prayer 
and put Jesus first in your life. Make him your savior and make him the Lord of your life. But for those of you who have made that commitment, I want to just move into this uh, shift for one second and talk about this. What does this look like practically? Jesus fulfilled the law for us. And then Jesus said later on in the Gospel of John that he would send the Holy Spirit who would teach us and he would bring to our remembrance all of the truth and, and, and lead us into what Jesus had already spoken and that he would convict the world of sin. And so the Holy Spirit has a very important role in our lives in order that we may live like Jesus fully. So remember we talked about earlier Jesus did what we couldn't do by by living the life that we couldn't live. He met God's standard. But when we believe in Jesus, now we can do what Jesus did because the Spirit of God is inside of us. So I I want us to look at what it looks like to live like Jesus fully in holiness and power and in presence. So let's look first at this, to live like Jesus fully in holiness It means to be filled with the Spirit of God and allow the the fruit of the Spirit to be manifest in us. So here's how that happens in our lives. We must surrender our ambitions to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to bring His fullness into our lives. We must surrender our ambitions to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to bring His fullness into our lives. In other words, we need to do our part. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote to many different churches and he said to them, you have a role to play when it comes to experiencing the Spirit moving in your lives. And that role is to put to death everything that is earthly or sinful inside of you so that the Holy Spirit can break through. And when we participate with God in that, God will break through. Now, listen, God is all-powerful. He could say a word and break through in our lives. But this seems to be, and it doesn't always happen this way, but this seems to be the most normal, most common way that God works in our lives. We put sin to death. He empowers us to do that through his Holy Spirit. And then he releases his spirit into our lives and replaces that sinful nature with a righteousness nature which is really incredible, but we actually partner with him in the surrendering of our ambitions. So we have to get rid of pride. We have to get rid of arrogance. We have to get rid of greed, everything that that is in our life that that is holding us back from embracing the Holy Spirit and letting him come through in our life. Because when he does, we will have everything we need in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. And the Apostle Paul said that when we put our faith in Jesus, we receive that spirit, we receive that fruit in our lives. And you know, I, I know as a parent, and that's kind of right where I'm at right now, so I know a lot of my images are coming from, from parenting, um, but if you're a parent, you understand this. You pray for patience sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah, everybody's laughing right now, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you pray for patience, especially if you have more than two children. Right? You're praying all the time, in Jesus' name, give me patience that this boy lives till he's nine years old. Right? I get it. But here's the reality. And Bill Johnson from Redding, California, he's a pastor there at Bethel. He helped me understand this, that most Christians, as Christians, a lot of times we pray for patience. The reality is we already have it in our bank account. In our spiritual bank account, we've got all of the patience that we could possibly need. The problem is, oftentimes, we don't know how to make a withdrawal. And so today, I want you to know how you make a withdrawal is you surrender that anxiety of raising that child or being in that relationship or whatever it is to Jesus, and then you make a withdrawal from the Holy Spirit who's already inside of you. This works really 
really well and really, really importantly in the area of our habits. That when we have bad habits, we need to replace those. So we put to death the sinful part of the habit and then we make a withdrawal from our spiritual bank account. The Holy Spirit gives us self-control. So you see how this works. So the Holy Spirit empowers us to live like Jesus so we can now do what Jesus did. That's what it means to live like Jesus fully in holiness. To live like Jesus fully in power means to embrace and release his power to heal, restore, and, and, and live into the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So here's how we do that. We must expect, embrace, and release God's power to those around us. You see, a lot of us, I think, we don't expect God that God wants to use us where we are. Maybe we don't think that God wants us to, to talk to somebody at work, encourage somebody at work, or that maybe he wants us to encourage our, our spouse today or our children today, or, or maybe he wants us to call our parents and encourage them, or, or maybe he actually wants us to pray for somebody because he wants to heal through us. You see, that's what it means when we, we have to come in. We have to expect that God wants to use us because he does. Remember last week, Pastor Chris talked about being salt. Part of the tastiness is we get to deliver God's kingdom, God's freedom, his spirit. And by the way, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And so when we deliver that freedom to people, they are healed. They are restored. They're redeemed. They find wholeness in God. And, and by the way, it's not for our sake that God does that. It's for his glory and for the sake of the other people. If you prayed for somebody today who had a broken bone and God healed that bone, that's not for your glory. That's for God's glory. But he chose you to deliver that miracle. And he wants to do that from praying for broken bones to encouraging somebody with your words today. So that's what it means to live like Jesus fully in power. And then the last thing is to live like Jesus fully in presence. It means we can experience God's presence all the time. Jesus told his disciples, he said, the Holy Spirit is with you now, but after I die and then I'm raised back to life again, the Holy Spirit will actually come and he will be in you. So as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in us, which means something very important, and that is this. The author of Hebrews tells us that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And so what that means is that the Holy Spirit is inside of us, and if we feel like God is not near us, all we need to do is simply speak his name. And he's right there. He's right there. He's here with us right now. He's living inside of us. And so to live fully like Jesus in presence is to be alive in the Spirit, which Jesus was. And Jesus took time to spend with his heavenly Father. Every day, Jesus took time away. He would teach to the crowds, and then he would go off into the mountains, and, or he would go off into a garden, or he would go out by himself, and, and he would just be by himself with his heavenly Father. And if we're going to do the things that Jesus did, we need to invest that time as well to live like Jesus fully in presence. So, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And it has some very serious implications for us as followers of Jesus. Jesus did what we couldn't do, so we can now do what Jesus did. Jesus raised a dead man back to life. Do you think he wants to do that through us? Maybe. He might. I mean, imagine that. Just walk down by Fox's funeral home in Saxonburg and say, come out! Imagine how many people would come to faith that day. I mean, that would just be incredible, right? But we have that power within us. 
the Holy Spirit living inside of us so that we can live like Jesus fully in holiness and power and in presence. And when we do that, our lives will change, but more importantly, the lives around us will change. So I want to encourage us to live today's next step, which is this. I will let the Holy Spirit empower me to live the life Jesus has called me into this week. I will let the Holy Spirit empower me to live the life Jesus has called me into this week. So when you hear the Holy Spirit whisper into your heart, go pray for them, go encourage them, go go heal them. I want to heal them through you. When you hear him in your heart, please follow him. Don't do as the Apostle Paul commands us not to do and quench the Spirit, but instead abide by the Spirit and abide in Jesus and let him use us so that we can live fully, live like Jesus in holiness, in power, and in presence. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for Jesus. And today, Lord, if there are any who are in this room right now who right now want to put their faith in in you as, as their Lord and as their Savior, Jesus, I pray that you'll meet them right where they are in this moment. Father, we pray thanks for Jesus. And we pray that you will just bring us alive right now. And so if you're in here today and you want to pray to receive Jesus, just repeat after me in your heart. Jesus, I admit I need you. I believe in you as my Savior and Lord. And I confess my sin to you right now. And I commit my life to you. And I thank you for living a life I couldn't live and for dying a death I should have died and raising back to life that I might trust you and know you today. We give you the praise and the glory. And Father, for those in here who have already made that commitment, my prayer is that you will fill us with your spirit right now, that you will empower us to live these lives in holiness and in power and in presence, that we could see a release of your kingdom out of this church that has never been seen before in Western Pennsylvania. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.